we will be getting as many questions as we can. Um, I do want to, you know, pick this man's brain for all things New York. He's as plugged in with the Knicks and the Nets as anyone. Um, SNY's Ian Bagley, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Jake, my pleasure, my friend. Uh, always good to be with you. Love talking hoops with you. Love checking out your reporting. So happy <laughs> to be here, man. Let's let's get into it. Uh, I know you only have a limited time, so we're not going to waste it. Um, I mean, I haven't heard anything really groundbreakingly new since my last writing on the Kevin Durant trade sweepstakes um, on Wednesday, um, being out here in Vegas. It's definitely, you know, it comes up with every chat with someone at the arena I went by yesterday. Um, it's just pretty fascinating to me to see how the Rudy Gobert trade, which has also been a huge talking point here on the ground um, in Sin City. Uh, it, I mean, it does seem like the majority of people in and around the league kind of think that the Wolves overpaid. Um, and whether or not that's true, regardless, their massive price for Rudy Gobert is obviously impacting the Kevin Durant trade market. So, I mean, have you, you've been covering the league longer than me. Have you ever seen anything like this where such a talented player requests a trade? but the market has kind of shrunk both based off of how late in the cycle things are, but also um, just how high the asking price is is snuffing out a lot of potential landing spots. Yeah, I haven't seen a situation like this with mm -hmm. all the factors that you reference, you know, and then including the Kyrie Irving factor and how that impacts what the Nets may or may not do and are looking to do. And so, yeah, it's just there's so many – major major players um that have factored into this thing and yeah it's it's i think it's unique in where we are in the league right now especially with kevin durant you know requesting the trade the day free agency started so yeah it just has thrown a huge wrench into almost everything that teams want to do and so you're waiting to see how this thing shakes out but at the same time like you look at DeAndre Ayton, you look at Phoenix, you look at Indiana. How long How long can DeAndre Ayton wait? How long can Phoenix wait? How long can teams like that wait before they have to move forward on a transaction surrounding Ayton? So that, to me, is an interesting domino here when you're talking about things in the near term and how that would impact the Nets and Durant and, by extension, Irving. So, to me... I was telling this to someone last night over drinks. If I'm the Nets, I think, like, looking at this from the Nets' perspective, I really do think, just from my limited knowledge, because I don't know, I don't know all that's happened behind the scenes. Um, I really think that the Nets' best opportunity to recoup the most value for both those guys is in a combined, like, five-team, four-team thing where Kyrie goes to the Lakers and those two Lakers first somehow enter the, the ether of, uh, of uh, you know, a potential return for Phoenix. I know there's a very popular idea of, of making some three-team thing with Utah and Phoenix and Brooklyn to get Donovan Mitchell to Brooklyn as, like, a whispered idea, you know, in the spirit of the show. Uh, title, please don't aggregate this. I'm not reporting that that is a three-team framework that's being discussed. Um, I haven't heard that Jazz have made any, have really entertained any inquiry for Donovan Mitchell at this point. We will definitely get there with Ian um, momentarily with the obvious Knicks connections. Um, but I just, I mean, the only teams that are really floating out there as rumored teams that are at least checking in on the situation with KD aggressively. Um, and there's definitely more. And I haven't really heard too, too much that I'm willing to share publicly about, you know, hard offers for KD. Um, but it really is just the Phoenix, Toronto, 
and then people mention the fact that New Orleans could could make an offer. I don't know if New Orleans actually really has. I, I don't have that confirmed. Um, is there any team, Ian, outside of that kind of vortex of the word I keep using that you have heard of that you're looking at as a potential you know, sleeper, just like how Paul George came out of nowhere, went to OKC? Is, is there a, a dark horse that you're looking at here? Well, you hit on the two, which was New Orleans and Toronto is not even a dark horse anymore because it's been mentioned so much. But with regards to New Orleans, the, the issue for the Nets, and maybe issue is, is the wrong term, but one factor here is the idea that there are many players you can't take back in a trade because you have Ben Simmons on your roster who you acquired in a trade. And so uh, that, that limits them to a certain degree. And, and you look at New Orleans, Brandon Ingram, they can acquire via trade. And there are plenty of Toronto players that are attractive that they can acquire via trade. So those are the two teams. And, you know, with Miami, not surprising at all, but, you know, people with uh, a connection to the Heat had been in Durant's ear heavily in the days after the trade request. And and the, the trouble there is is what I just referenced with regards to who the Nets could actually bring bring back in a trade. And I think that's that's a big, that's going to be a big hang up for them. Um, you know, other teams kind of sniffing around the situation. This again is not earth shattering, but they, they don't think that the Nets like would value Tyler Hero to the degree that maybe other teams would. And, and that's relevant in terms of any potential, you know, Durant trade to Miami. So there, there's so many factors here that could even could hold potential deals up. And, and even if a team thinks it's kind of making progress, there are 25 things that could happen outside of its control that would totally demolish a potential deal. So it's, it's one of the more fascinating situations to me, uh, an NBA free agency that we've seen in a while. And I think, and Jake, I, I think that you, I don't know where you stand on it, but there, there's no world where Kyrie Irving gets dealt before Kevin Durant. But I, I know that uh, some people at the Lakers, they felt that there was a pretty good momentum towards getting something to the finish line, close to the finish line, on Russell Westbrook and Kyrie uh, last weekend. And and obviously it falls apart, and, and maybe that has to do with what the Nets ultimately want from that transaction. But it, it just shows you how many different pieces have to fall into place to actually get something done here. Yeah, I've been saying all along, I, I would be absolutely floored if, if Kyrie gets to L.A. in a direct two-team trade. From the cap implications, where I wrote about that on Wednesday, where it's not apples to apples, it would be a little bit more complicated than what I'm about to say. But you know, just just theoretically swapping Kyrie's salary for Westbrook's salary, being that the Nets are so, you know, in tax brackets, you know, out the wazoo, that they would that that would that would accrue fifty million dollars in more tax penalties because Russell uh, Russell Westbrook makes eleven million more. Than Kyrie this next season, um, I mean that that in itself is I think I mean the Nets are not thinking about taking on massive tax penalties to take on an expiring contract. Kyrie Irving already is an expiring contract, um, and I think those two first round picks that in theory are available for the Lakers to move. I mean. Are they appealing? To, I mean, there's definitely a lot of intrigue around the league about like what the value of those picks could be. Being that, I mean, we saw the Lakers go through a five-six period of the dark ages post Kobe, right? Even even during Kobe's final years, um, final years playing. Uh, always always sensitive talking about the end of Kobe Bryant's career, um, and um, you know, I just. I know Eric Pincus wrote about San Antonio as being a potential third team. It would make sense just based off the fact that they've got the space, but there's going to need to be something going back to Brooklyn that is not just unprotected future Lakers picks. Like the Nets want to contend for a title now, or they want to at least put themselves in a position to be a team that is going to be competing for a title in the very near your future, excuse me. Um, so I really just don't think Russ going to Brooklyn is a scenario that is going to be an outcome here to all this. I, I, I could be wrong, but that's just from all the, all the conversations I've had, um, 
th- those factors are just really pointing in a, in, a, in a different direction to me. And and what we've seen, at least from the Nets with, with Joe Sy, you, you saw a story from the New York Post a couple months ago, maybe at this point, where the Nets had been you know losing significant amounts of money. And Joe Sy, to me, if you're an owner and you're making the kind of investments that he he's made, purchasing the franchise and then. Uh, the salary tax implications to the players that they've brought in, you are not spending money to lose. You're, you want to win. You obviously want to win games immediately and you want to clearly uh, host playoff games and, and make some money off of your investment. You know, Joe size a businessman. So I, I agree with you in terms of the Nets short term goals. Uh, that makes sense. And that certainly makes a deal all the more difficult. Um, Although, Jake, right. I would say, would you also say that eventually Kyrie Irving ends up in L.A. one way or another? Because that's my read on it right now. I don't I don't he's not going to go back to Brooklyn based on how things have played out to this point. And so uh, L.A. seems like the most obvious destination. I just see that being an endpoint uh, when it happened, when it's going to happen. I don't know. But I, I see that as an ultimate endpoint here. My read for weeks has been that the Lakers want Kyrie and Kyrie wants the Lakers, yes. Um, I think I don't I don't know specifically what led Kevin Durant's trade request, but I would suspect that the overwhelming thought around the league and around people who know things about the situation that that was going to be Kyrie's endgame, even if he was on the Nets roster all this year. And then he got to free agency next summer that he, his eyes were set on the Lakers. So, um, again, I'm not reporting that's the reason why Kevin Durant requested the trade. But to me, that's an, an obvious factor here. Um, and, I mean, the, the marriage makes sense from the Lakers' perspective, being that, like, they've got a 37-year-old LeBron James. And, I mean, he still looks capable of, of playing at a, at a legitimate all-star level on both sides of the floor when, when engaged in a winning environment. They won a title together in 2016. This would be, you know, there's an opportunity to, to have Kyrie and LeBron sign new contracts or extensions uh, in theory once they, they bring this big three together um, that would line up with the expiration of Anthony Davis's contract in 24-25 and then the Lakers can go from there. Like, and all those all those puzzle pieces seem to align very well for the Lakers and Kyrie if they can make it happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, you mentioned Tyler Hero earlier, and a question I've been asking a lot of people. I mean, I've only been here for like less than twenty four hours, but a question I've been asking about people here in Vegas, and I will continue to do, is: Would you prefer a package? For any superstar, specifically though, with if you're the Utah Jazz, would you prefer a trade package featuring Tyler Hero or a trade package featuring R.J. Barrett? And you know, Tyler Hero's value is pretty checkered around the league. I would say. I mean, no one denies the talent, but I think the defensive questions are are obvious and and, and widespread in rival teams. Um, I mean, Boston definitely benefited, I think, from his uh, shortcomings on that side of the floor. Um, I mean, the scoring is what it is, though. I mean, he was clearly Miami's best bucket getter throughout the regular season. Um, And until Jimmy Butler went Jimmy Butler postseason, um, like, he was the best option for the Heat, who were the number one seed in the East, to create a shot in the half court all season long. His value as a scorer is is up there, um, but it's been interesting to hear how many people in the NBA that, I, that I've spoken to don't necessarily value Tyler Hero on whatever his next contract is going to be. And I would think, as I wrote a couple weeks ago, I mean, it sounds like $25 million a year is going to be the baseline of, of what I think that number gets to. Um, I would I would assume he's going to want more. Everyone wants more, right? Everyone asks for their max. Um, but it has been interesting to hear that. I mean, honestly, it's almost a near consensus uh, of who I've spoken to 
would prefer RJ Barrett over Tyler Hero. Um, and that I think would bode very well for the New York Knicks and Knicks faithful if and when. Um, and I haven't spoken to anyone who would know about if the Knicks have actually just like called Utah and said, hey, what would it take to get Donovan? I don't, I mean, I don't think we're there yet from my understanding. If we were, I would think that I would have heard about it, Ian. Maybe you've got more intel on it than me. Um, but that's just a very interesting data point to me right now in this early stage of everything um, in Utah where the Knicks have always been rumored as Donovan's potential next team if he asked out. They obviously have massive interest in getting him. And honestly, after the dealing that they did on the draft on draft night, maybe New York is in the best position to make a move for Donovan Mitchell if the Jazz ever really open their ears to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Jake, a, a couple things just with regards to RJ specifically. The one thing I wonder about Danny Ainge on his end with anything about a Donovan Mitchell trade, do you want to bring back a player, whether, whether it's Barrett or Hero, that is set for a huge payday uh, in, in a very short period of time? Or would you prefer younger players that gives you a chance to evaluate a little longer before you have to make that kind of a decision? That's that's the one factor here when, when you talk about R.J. Barrett. I, I don't know how Utah feels about him. I'm sure, I'm sure they think he's a very talented player. I'm sure they think highly of him. But if you're talking about making a deal, you're blowing everything up, you're, you're trading Donovan Mitchell and you're Utah, I wonder if you want a player – where you've got a little more space between when you obtain the player and when you have to make a big, big decision on that player's contract. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, you know, in conversations that I had with a couple of people uh, during the postseason, uh, and the, you know, the fear or the concern, I would say, from a Knicks side is, what do you, what do you really have to give up to get Donovan Mitchell from Utah? And what are you left with in the wake of that deal? And is it good enough? And I think that there's some concern that it would not be good enough. And I think that concern level has raised a little bit in the wake of what Utah got back from Rudy Gobert. Uh, So you would think that the price for Donovan Mitchell goes up because of that deal. And then it it becomes, I think, a more tricky premise for a team like New York. Yes, they have the assets. Yes, um, they've got the picks. They've got some young players to make something happen. Uh, But you have to worry about what's left because if you're Leon Rose and his group, you're going into, uh, you know, the third full season here and that is your big swing and it has to work out. So you have to be cognizant of how much is left on the back end. And I don't think that there is, I think there is concern about what would be left on the roster in the wake of a deal uh, for a Donovan Mitchell type player. I think that's the concern everyone has right now who's in the, the theoretical superstar buying market where, like, the Rudy trade clearly established a precedent. And it's at the top. I mean, it's going to be very hard for any team that doesn't have a trove of picks that isn't focused on getting an absolute trove of picks to, to meet that asking price and be able to, to sustain a, a winning team with optionality after it. And I, I know the market moves in cycles and, you know, like the Anthony Davis trade in New Orleans set a precedent and Drew Holiday's deal set a precedent and like the market reacts after that. But also like the going, the going rate can't continue to go up. Like it can't get to seven right. picks. It right. can't get to 10 picks. Like legally, most teams only really have the capacity to trade four with swaps, right? So right. it's it's going to be I mean, at a certain point we're we're going to hit the. I mean, maybe we already did. And the fact that unprotected picks are flying out left and right. I mean, there was a time where, and I talked to a couple people over the last week or so about all all this you know trade chatter and like there was a time where a lot of people in the league never thought thought that unprotected picks were never going to get traded ever again. And now we're in full, you know, you're trading multiple unprotected picks at a time. Like, I just, sure, at this point, I, I understand why maybe Knicks people would be afraid or, or, or fearing that they might not have enough. But um, at a certain point, like, the asking price is going to get too ridiculous and teams are going to have to come down on their price if, if they want to make a move and, and, and 
exact a move at the peak of a player's value. Right. I, I agree with that. And, and, and Jake, the other thing I would say is I, I can't speak, I obviously can't speak for the Jazz. Um, but I, I also had heard kind of rumblings about Utah maybe, you know, looking at the Knicks players and not being head over heels about anything they might get back from a player perspective. And again, that's that's uh, from somebody who'd been in touch with them. It's secondhand. I don't want to speak for the Jazz, but I think that you should at least think about that if you're going to think about potential uh, Donovan Mitchell deals and, and where he may end up and where Utah may want to trade him. For sure. Um, anything about the Jalen Brunson situation that this top of your head you want to get off your chest? Any reporting? Any nuggets? Any any thoughts? Well, I know that after the draft, shortly after the draft, some Mavs people, you know, had expressed uh, willingness, openness to, to look into a sign-and-trade possibility. And so that's where I go today, yeah. 1230 on Friday, because that to me is maybe a reason why we're not seeing this thing go through yet. The, the Knicks have an opportunity uh, to conduct the sign-and-trade below the cap, above the cap. Uh, with a third team like Detroit, uh, straight up with Dallas, which seems pretty unlikely. So that's kind of where I am right now on Brunson. And, and I've said it and I've written it. Um, I, I think this is it, it, don't confuse what I'm about to say here. It's an all in move for Leon Rose and his group, but that has nothing to do with very little to do with Jalen Brunson and his ability on the basketball court. To me, it's more about the factors that have led up to this signing and kind of where things are right now for the Knicks, it, it, it's, a, it's a move where you've kind of put yourself uh, not into a corner, but all in. Your chips are on the table, and obviously this is not the final move for the Knicks, but I think they hope it's the move that leads to the big move that puts them in a position to be a contender. And so this is significant uh, no matter how you look at it, no matter whose kind of side you're looking at it from. This is a big move for uh, the front office, and I think the Knicks – they have to, bottom line, you have to improve your win total next season in the wake of this move. Um, and, I mean, this is definitely the move before the move, is my understanding. Like, obviously, yeah. it's been pretty well reported at this point that they checked in on DeJounte Murray before he, he went to Atlanta. I, I don't believe, mm -hmm. I have not been told that those talks got very serious at all. I think the Spurs asking price was, was way too high to, to in, in the spirit of our of our you know, a conversation a couple minutes ago. Um, but, I mean, the, the Knicks, to me, clearly think that getting Jalen Brunson, getting their number two guy on board is going to make themselves a far more attractive destination for if it's a Donovan trade or if they're able to steal someone in for agency in the future. Um, I mean, that, that to me is, is the bigger picture, too, that um, this is step one. And that the, the true alpha, the Luca to Jalen's uh, Jalen in Dallas, <laughs> is, mm -hmm. is coming at some point. And I don't think they have their eyes dead set on someone. I think honestly, there's plenty of people they would like to have, um, but I think that that's to me New York's positioning here. And 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 to me, I think they feel pretty confident moving forward that that it's going to be a pretty good gamble, and Jalen's going to raise. Jalen's going to be the tide that raises all boats in the garden, and then someone might see that and have their ears even uh, perked up even more. Yeah, and it's a smart play because you're where they are right now without Jalen Brunson. You are. It's going to be a hard sell on trying to convince somebody, an established player, who wants to change teams to come to you. But if you are ascending, and, and Jalen Brunson helps show that you are ascending, then you're in a really good spot. And so uh, I agree with everything you said. I think they have uh, the pieces to make something happen. I think that they, they've shown you, if, any, if they've shown you anything over the past three years, they've shown you that they're willing to be patient, uh, maybe too patient for some Nick fans liking, um, but they are well positioned to make that next move. They still have some things to clean up and they still have some decisions to make. In particular, you know, Julius Randle will be topping. How does that play itself out? Uh, the Cam Reddish situation. How does that play itself out? Does he get minutes? Do you ultimately decide to move him? So there, there are still def big decisions to be made. But in a big picture sense, I do think they're well positioned to take the step that you mentioned, Jake, which is bringing in 
uh, top player after Brunson. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard of specific calls of late, but like I'd be confident to say that I would imagine New York is going to continue to call around on Cam and Evan Fournier as the offseason unfolds. I, I think, I mean, you don't aggressively look around for trade partners all offseason and then they just, just suddenly stop. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to be – and I think those guys will probably be brought up, you know, if and when New York and Dallas get on the phone and actually do talk about sign-and-trade scenarios like you mentioned, Ian, which it does make sense. I mean, as much as it's kind of an, a potentially an uncomfortable prospect for Dallas, like it does open the door for them to at least get something back for Jalen, even if it is a trade exception. I mean, the the pick – Dallas's first round pick that New York still is or still has, I, I believe, it's from the KP trade, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. That's always been a talking point around the league of like, could Dallas get that back if Jalen went to New York? I don't know if that's even a realistic possibility, um, but I, I think all options are going to be on the table if those two sides really do get involved in, in serious sign and trade conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A couple quick things on. On Cam Reddish, I mean, I I know that there are people who would like to see him play. Would like to see Tom Thibodeau put him in the rotation next season. And you mean the, you mean the people who traded for him? <laughs> uh, you know what? Not even I would say not even necessarily those people who made that decision. But there are other people in the organization that would like to see it happen. Yeah. Maybe they're just supporting the people who traded for him, and maybe they don't like how Tom Thibodeau handle it. I don't, I don't know, but I do know that there are people who, who see him as somebody who should be the rotation. And then you couple that with the idea that uh, I know this too, that there's a concern and anyone who's watched basketball would understand the concern about uh, Evan Fournier, Jalen Brunson backcourt and the challenges that that could present defensively. And then if you're the Knicks, I think the, your options there barring a trade are Quentin Grimes, uh, starting shooting guard, sliding R.J. Barrett to starting shooting guard. Uh, and, and I don't know how else you might look at it if you don't want that Fournier-Brunson backcourt to be your primary backcourt. So those are those are other factors here when you talk about Brunson, you talk about Fournier. So I agree with you. I think, I think everything will continue to be on the table here uh, just because things have slowed down in free agency. I don't, I don't think those things, those specific trade opportunities would be taken off the table. I don't think, I think it's less likely that something were to happen um, at this point in the summer with those guys. But uh, I would, I would assume the Knicks are picking up the phone on calls that they get. And I do know that uh, Miami is among the teams that had spoken to the Knicks about Reddish specifically. Um, all right. Do you got to take off or do you have time for a couple calls? I could do, uh, I could do a call. I could do a call. All right, we're going to bring on David. Uh, hopefully this is a New York-related question. And uh, for everyone else in the call queue, we're going to run through these as quick as we can. For anyone listening who wants to make a call, you got to make an account to do so. And if you do make an account, we'd love if you guys follow the show, subscribe to it, get all push notifications about when we're going live, when we're upcoming. Um, we lo- I love taking all these calls. So, David, how are we doing? Hey, Jake, Ian, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, what's up, David? Perfect. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, this is a question specifically for Ian. Um, okay, love great. your work on, yeah, love your work on SNY and the putback. Um, Appreciate that. Man. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, I had you kind of alluded to it, but I had a question, especially considering it seems like the Knicks are really locking in their center rotation. Um, they just re-signed Mitch, signed Hartenstein. They just signed Sims yesterday, um, and and so you alluded to kind of like the question of the Obi Randall pairing. Um, would would this not make it more difficult to find minutes for Obi or f- kind of find a way that where Obi and, and Randall can play together? And if not, does this kind of signal maybe a willingness to kind of depart from Randall? I know that's kind of an evergreen question, but I'm just wondering sure. what, what you think about all of that together. Sure. Well, I think your first question, Thank you, David. I think it, it makes it much more difficult. If you're paying Isaiah Hartstein, you're paying Mitchell Robinson, and and you really think highly of Jericho Sims. It does make it much more difficult to find minutes for a Randall Toppin pairing uh, front court. I, I think that 
based on what I heard, I don't want to, I never want to speak for players, but based on what I heard, I think Julius Randle would be, would be very much open to that pairing and that lineup pairing. And I, and I think, so I think that it comes down in my mind, at least to other decision makers, uh, including obviously Tom Thibodeau being open to giving that run and seeing what that looks like. And so to me, if you're not, trading Julius Randle in the offseason, which at, at this point seems pretty unlikely. Uh, the, the way to find out more about Obi Toppin is you either play him over Randle, which seems like it's not going to happen, or you play him with Randle. But as you alluded to, David, it becomes very challenging to find minutes for that alignment when you have put such an investment into the center position. So certainly something to keep an eye on. But I, I have heard that Randle is open to that alignment and, and, and seeing kind of seeing it more. There we go. He is Ian Begley. He knows all when it comes to the big Apple basketball scene, read him at SNY.com. See him on SNY TV. Any, anything to plug man before I let you go? That's it, brother. Uh, just keep it locked in with us. We'll be giving you the latest on the Knicks and, and the Nets and we'll, we're keeping an eye on everything. And, and Jake, I appreciate you having me on. It's always good to, to talk hoops with you, my friend. You got it, man. Hope to see you soon. Hope to see the full beard and an update on the kids. And uh, <laughs> have a good weekend, man. The beard's getting gray because of the kids. Uh, that's to be expected. <laughs> but uh, enjoy yourself out there. And, yeah, let's hang soon. Sounds good, man. All right, Jack, if you could hold on one second, I'm just going to run through the comments really quickly, and then we'll get back to the calls, and we'll just knock out as many as we can. Um, Michael Laval says, it appears Cam Radish is currently out of the rotation. Uh, in our opinion, it was more likely to get moved before the season starts to clear up the rotation. Randall Fournier, Rose, Redis himself, um, like we were just saying before, um, I mean, to me, Reddish and Fournier are are the two names that I would I would still be on the lookout for a move. Derek Rose, I I mean I'd be absolutely floored if he got traded, just being such a Tom Thibodeau favorite, and he was arguably the Knicks' best player through much of the season. Um, what Jaron Jackson said in this time, what are the Memphis Grizzlies going to do about the power forward position? Um, I have not heard anything on that front, to be honest, um, on what they're going to do. Um, but I mean. It's it's obviously a massive a massive hit, and we'll have to see. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly start try, try to look into that and see what I can come back with. Um, any thoughts on John not taking the fifth year player option like Trey Luke and Tatum? Is it fair to assume who's offered it and turn it down to Trey Willis to the front office? Um, I don't know if it's fair to assume that. I would think that. Um, I mean, he clearly loves Memphis and. Um, you know, has wanted to take that franchise on his back. I'm sure, like. Is that a loyalty thing? Maybe. Um, but I think the team would probably – I mean, any team would want – Zion doesn't have a, a player option either. Like, any team wants that all fully guaranteed or, or at least, like, on, on the team side of control when it comes to those superstars. So, um, I, I, I don't know why, but I, I would think, you know, with Tatum, you know, before he fully blossomed as being the Celtics franchise – piece there i mean there was definitely talk of him being potentially a flight risk one day um you know trey in atlanta luca in dallas like i just think that's what the agent game is now like you try to get your player optionality to potentially opt out not just even to leave but also um to position yourself in the case of a cap spike or you know depending on what your years of service are uh, to, to pay out for a higher, you know, the 10-year veteran type stuff. Um, but I don't think the fifth-year player option is as big of a deal at times that uh, I think gets discussed. I think, you know, back when LeBron had the three-year opt-out stuff, like that that was a much different scenario. Um, the last thing in the comments before we get back to the calls, the Knicks can offer eight first and four swaps. If they lose out on Mitchell, if he's available, it's an incredible failure from the front office. I would agree. I, I think at this point, as I said to Ian, I would think that the Knicks are in the best position to go and get Donna Mitchell if, if and when the Jazz are really ready to start listening for calls. Um, okay, we're going to bang through all these calls that we can. Jack, thank you for waiting. Please take yourself off mute, and we'll be good to go. Hey, Jake. How you doing? It's good to meet you. You too. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Big fan. Like I said, you are, you are really rising up. Walsh and Sham's got to watch out. 
<laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Okay, so quick, so a quick thing. I'm a big big Celtics fan, so kind of this is interesting. I noticed, like, I noticed like, the Derek White trades, Malcolm Brogdon trades. There was almost like no mention of the Celtics at all. Like, it's kind of a two part question, by the way. Is Brad Stevens just like really good at like hiding, like keeping his cards close to the vest? Like, insiders just can't get a grip when the Celtics are doing sometimes. That's my first part. And then my second part is. I just have a guy like John Collins. I'd love him on the Celtics. I don't know if we'll get him, but like, why is this market like so quiet? I feel like he's like a unique, you know, like a big young forward that a lot of teams could use. Are they waiting for Kevin Durant? Like, why is his market, I guess, so slow to develop? Thank you, Jack. Um, I'm sure Ice in the call queue is going to ask about John Collins as well. Um, To the Brad Stevens point, um, I mean, look, I think after what, it's been basically a year at this point. Brad Stevens' job at the top of the front office in Boston has been pretty exemplary. I mean, the guy's batting damn near close to 1,000. Um, in terms of the secrecy, I don't want to say too much in terms of, like, how the front office operates um, from, what, from what, what my understanding is of it. Um, but what I'll say is that there's definitely – there are teams that call around a lot and you start to hear what they're looking at doing. Um, Boston – I've always been able, I think, to get a handle on what they're looking to do. Um, sometimes the final outcomes, you know, that happen aren't, you know, they might, they might sound like they're coming out of nowhere because they weren't largely, uh, you know, whispered about. But like for Brogdon, for example, the Celtics needed to find another way to get a lead ball handler type guy. Like that was pretty clear. After the after the postseason, something that they were lacking. Like as much as Marcus Smart has, you know, fully blossomed in the point guard role there. Um, like they just needed someone when when the going got tough in the postseason to be in the in the finals and in other situations too, but just particularly in the finals to just slow things down and get everyone settled and, and get them into a good shot. And um, Brogdon was very very available for not a very expensive price. Like that, that that didn't take me by surprise, and I had definitely gotten a, a, an inkling that the deal was going down um, right before it happens. Uh, Derek White thing, I think you know San Antonio does operate a little bit, you know, obviously in like the code of silence, and it does seem like Brad has developed a pretty good synergy with Brian Wright's front office in San Antonio. They've, they've made at least three, tra- or at least two trades. I think it's three off the top of my head, but um. So to the John Collins question, I'll just I'll just say for now. I mean, he's probably. I mean, I, I, yeah, he's definitely getting held up a little by KD. I would imagine, and it seems like any real trade is getting held up by KD. But I mean, his market's been quiet back to the draft. I mean, just like Miles Turner's has, and at a certain point, the market speaks, and um, you know. I, I don't have any new John Collins. I really don't. I, I've been asking. I've been trying. It just, I, I haven't, like, I, I even, on Tuesday when I made calls, and please don't aggregate this because this is not a report, um, I heard from two different people on the league that, oh, Dallas is a team that was interested in John Collins. And then you know, I heard that a while back, like, pre-Christian Wood, so I checked in on it, and I was like, nope, that's not even a real destination. So, um I'm struggling to find John Collins home too. I'll say that. Um, we've got our next caller here. Is it Tesh? Am I pronounced that correctly? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. How you doing? Good. Good. Uh, it's Tejas. I know it's Tejas. it's a full. So. Welcome to the show, Tejas. Thank you for having me. Uh, love your work. Also, this off season, it's outstanding stuff. Seriously. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um. So my thing. I, I want to talk about the Kyrie stuff, yeah. And especially with Shams just uh, on the Pat McAfee show talking about um, that Kyrie and Kyrie to the Lakers is like not even like close right now. And to me, I mean, honestly, that just seems like a cover up. I mean, if we're if we're being serious, Kyrie to the Lakers is, as Stephen A. would say, box office. Like literally, that would generate billions in revenue in stadium. <laughs> Like the NBA wants Kyrie in LA with LeBron to reunite. Um, so, but the thing is, is just I just don't, I just can't see a reason for the Nets to do something with the Lakers. Like I, they, 
the Lakers only have two first round picks until 20, 2029, if I'm correct. And sorry, voice crack, but, uh, it, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the Lakers only have two first round picks until 2029 and the Nets, I just don't see them wanting Russell Westbrook. Like Russell Westbrook at this point honestly doesn't contribute to winning. And so, and if the Nets truly do want to win, they don't want Russell Westbrook, especially after what he showed last season. So I just can't imagine a world where Kyrie goes to the Lakers without something going on in the background. Like there's the NBA wants Kyrie to the Lakers. That's a given. But if, if it does happen, you just have to assume something's going on in the background. I'm I'm not one to theor like create theories and stuff. (laughs) But, like, man, it'd be so obvious that something went down behind the scenes if Kyrie goes to the Lakers because there's no way the Nets want this. No, I agree. And like I said earlier in the show, like I said previously, um, if if it gets done in the two-team deal, I will be absolutely for it. I just don't think it's going to happen. And to, you know – Spinning out the three-team scenarios, is there is there a team out there that's going to take Russ and two first-round picks and then give up capital back to Brooklyn that's going to, you know, whet their appetite for a Kyrie return? I, it's, I'm struggling to see it. I, I think, you know, is the door wide, wide open for Kyrie to get to L.A. in free agency next summer? 100%. And could, I mean, he could, he could easily be rerouted, you know, th- through a three-team deal elsewhere that, that gets him there. But it's just, it's it's a very precarious predicament to to find a direct two-team framework with LA and Brooklyn that makes sense. Um, Ethan, how are you? Good, Jake. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Thanks for calling. So Kevin Durant to Toronto keeps being a thing that's rumored about, and it makes sense in some ways, but. No one seems to be mentioning the history he has there, specifically when he tore his Achilles in the 2019 finals and the fans cheered. And so I'm curious if you've heard anything about his potential feelings about playing there after all of that went down. That's a great point. Um, I have not heard anything about that of late. Um, The only things I've heard from people who would know are that KD – has his heart set on Phoenix and that Miami is also right behind the Suns. That's it. I think if the Nets brought to him, you know, if they get to a point where they get a deal from Toronto or they like, and they say to Kevin, we've got this deal from Toronto that we like, you know, will it work? Blah, blah, blah. If there's enough there that would help him win and compete for a title, like, if he's still there with Fred, Fred Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes and Precious Achua and other pieces that they really think could win with, I, I would find it hard to believe that he would not want to go to that situation because of the fans booing him for an injury during the finals. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard that been discussed at all. Um, I don't want to speak for Kevin Durant so definitively, but I would be very surprised if that was something that held back his – ultimate, you know, joining of the rafters in theory, if it was a deal that made sense for everyone involved. Um, Ice, what do we got on Atlanta? <laughs> well, I was going to ask about John Collins, but you seem to cover that already. So we're going to we're gonna pivot a little bit. But right. I think you mentioned, I don't know if this was, it might have been on Monday's call-in with Andy, you kind of talked about uh, extension talks with Hunter weren't very close. Is that kind of just... Do you think that he plans on betting on himself for the coming year? I know he's a pretty injury-riddled wing. I feel like Atlanta's going to try to like finesse him with like an OG Ananobi-type deal or something right now. Do so you kind of just see he might just bet on himself for a year, or why, why are extension talks kind of far, in your opinion? Um, from everything I've heard about extension talks, I think DeAndre Hunter and his people are asking for I don't want to say too much because I it's I haven't heard anything on it in a couple of weeks, but it, the, the the intel was pretty loud around the draft and repeatedly kept hearing the same numbers that he wanted and what the Hawks wanted, um, and I think you know the Hawks pre pre conference finals run pre him getting hurt like valued DeAndre Hunter as like a next Kawhi type of player, um, and I think he wants to be paid as such, but the injury issues since then um, have to have, have been you know rampant. He, he has not been able to put together a consistent stretch of staying healthy. And that's something that 
every team I've talked to has brought up when met, when discussing him. You know, there was a time pre-draft where every team I talked to thought DeAndre Hunter was available in trade talks too. And then I forget exactly when it was, but at a certain point, the message was, was sent out pretty loudly around the NBA that, no, he's not on, on the trade block. He's not a candidate to be moved. Um, and that, but, but at that time when people were considering him to be a trade possibility, heard a lot of talk about fear about his injury and history and his ability to stay on the court. So that is my, all I can really say as to what I've heard is a factor in uh, those extension conversations. Um, Ryan, how are you? Hey, good, Jake. Can you hear me? Yes. Sorry, I'm on my headphones and I'm feeding a one-year-old. So let me make my question quick. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a Nets fan and I've been going through like cope and trying to figure out which trade I think as a Nets fan would be best. But one thing I'm kind of confused about is like the Suns seem like the optimal destination for Kevin Durant and Phoenix obviously would love to have them. Do you get the sense that Phoenix isn't offering their best package or that the Nets just aren't in love with what the Suns can offer? Um, I don't want to say too definitively what the package is from Phoenix, but from my understanding, the Suns have I mean, no team has brought an offer to Brooklyn yet that they're, you know, truly mulling over. At least, I mean, I haven't talked. I mean, that could have happened last night, could have happened yesterday. Um, but I think Phoenix is trying to keep as many players back as they can to try to, you know, like – the Suns, I would imagine, and, and have heard that they do not want to part with Mikael Bridges in, in, in any way that, that, you know, brings in Kevin Durant. Pretty damn hard to do from a Brooklyn side of things. Um, so I just think this is – people are drawing lines in the sand about, you know, the Nets about what they want, other teams about what they're not willing to put in. And, you know, teams are looking at the Nets situation right now just like, you know, to, to bring us back to Toronto of it all, just like – teams looked at the Kawhi Leonard situation in 2019 or 2018 where, um, you know, originally the thought was that he was going to go for, you know, the world and the moon and the stars. And he ultimately only gets dealt for DeMar DeRozan, Yaka Pirtle in the first round pick. This Rudy Gobert, DeJounte stuff is clearly coloring the market right now. If you've talked about time and again, um, but I think teams are holding a line firm and, and thinking like, we're not going to have to give you this unprecedented haul because we're calling your bluff that you're not actually going to bring these guys back. That's what the Nets are, are, are projecting that, you know, that they'll run, they'll run it back in training camp. We're not feeling any pressure. Um, and, you know, no one's expecting at this point in time, no one's expecting Kevin Durant to pull up Ben Simmons and, and, and not want to show up and all that. Um, I mean, that'll be a whole nother conversation once we get, if this actually gets closer to our training camp. Um, but I think ultimately right now, this is all just a negotiating leverage standpoint for, for everything that we're, you know, discussing or, and that we're getting, that, that, that like we're hearing uh, echoing around the, the NBA eco chamber. Uh, Darcy, how are you? Hey, how's it going, Jake? Thanks for having me on. Uh, big it. Knicks fan here. So, I have a serious question about, you know, uh, all this chatter around Cam Reddish. You know, obviously the league is, is well, some teams are, are transitioning to having players with a lot of length. You look at OKC uh, with who they just drafted and having uh, Pokashevsky or, you know, uh, sorry if I mispronounced his name, but, you know, they have a lot of length at all positions, right? And I feel, you know, the Knicks should be a team that's, uh, it should be transitioning toward getting players with more length. You look at Cam Reddish, uh, a six eight, seven foot one wingspan, uh, and, and of course, a very uh, he has a huge bag in terms of his offensive arsenal. So, why is it that the Knicks are even having discussions about trading him? Um, is he being viewed as just a potential uh, throw in to to move Evan Fournier or someone someone else? Because obviously, he's played with R.J. Barrett, um, so you know that's something there. I, I see them being a Tatum. Uh, slash Jalen Brown type of tandem if given the opportunity. But why is it that the Knicks are even considering moving him, considering we don't have depth at the position? And also, do you see it being a possibility that since, you know, Fournier isn't a good fit next to Jalen Brunson, um, that we could see a starting line above Jalen Brunson, uh, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, uh, Obi Top, uh, Julius Randle, and uh, Mitchell Robinson, right? Do we, do we see a potential of Cam moving into the starting lineup if the Knicks keep him? 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Darcy. I, I, I'd be surprised if Cam's in the starting lineup, just being that he, he barely cracked his rotation last year. Um, I think that's a big part of why um, ultimately he's on the tra- he's in trade conversations. Another thing, I mean, he's extension eligible. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of trade conversations uh, that, that happen are preempting extension conversations where a team just doesn't necessarily want to be in the position to have to pay that guy. Um, so I think that's a big part of it, too. Uh, Shay, how are we doing? Good. Can you hear me? I got you. Yeah, how are you, man? Um, I got a question about the Katie Kyrie saga, like how this is all shaking out. So, um, from the Warriors side, right? I've heard um, Marcus Spears, Marcus Thompson, and even Shams reported the other day that the Warriors are kind of emerging in the forefront of this. And then Zach Lowe said yesterday on his podcast that Katie would be open to a re- reunion with the Warriors, and Steph and Katie have remained a close friendship. So. Is this something that is a legitimate possibility of KD returning to the Warriors? And then the second thing I wanted to ask about the Kyrie front is it seems like everyone has just penciled him in to be um, the starting point guard for the Lakers next year. But what's to stop a team like from what you've heard around the league from like a Minnesota Timberwolves where they could make an easy one to one swap with D'Lo and maybe like a pick swap here and there to get Kyrie? Because I feel like that's a team that could use a starting point guard, and then you have a starting five that's as good as anyone in the NBA. So what are your thoughts on those two things that I've laid out? Um, the Minnesota point is a great point because there's a guy I talk to regularly in the NBA who is just dying for the Wolves to make that deal. Um, I mean, the D'Lo thing, though, brings up the same question with, up with Russ. Like, do the Nets really want an expiring contract where D'Lo is going to be, I've heard even, is, is looking for an extension and a lucrative one? Um, and then take back picks to, to, to take a step back. I mean, I don't know. We talked about this on a previous call, and you know, maybe things could be remedied. I don't know where things stand right now, being that a lot of the principal actors who were there are gone. But Dilo wasn't thrilled with his exit in Brooklyn, where like basically he was an all-star, led that team to the playoffs, and the Nets just kind of kicked him to the curb when Kyrie and KD uh wanted to go there him being traded for Kyrie would be pretty fascinating from that side of things um I I don't think the Nets have a a massive appetite for turning Kyrie into D'Lo though um to the K to the KD Warriors thing I I talked to someone with Golden State um on Tuesday about it I mean sure they're gonna place a call but I don't know I mean they just won the title like are they really gonna disrupt and they've been so keen on trying to thread this needle of competing now and developing young guys. Are they really going to throw away their whole future that they've kind of hedged on here with Jordan Poole and Kaminga and hopefully, I mean, Moody had some nice moments in the playoffs. I know people like him a lot there. Um, and, you know, who knows what Wiseman is going to be and all and whatever picks they can do. Like, are they, I, I'm personally skeptical that they would actually go make that move, but I mean, they could make it as compelling an offer as anybody, but I haven't heard that that's something that, like, the Warriors are dead set on trying to make happen. But, yeah, I mean, they've called. They've definitely called. Um, Dom, how are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Can't complain. I was just wondering about the Harden um, extension or re-signing and what's the holdup there if the Phillies trying to make a – trade or they're just trying to figure out the numbers or even like Katie and Kyrie's holding it up. Thanks. You got it, Dom. Um, I, I mean, I, I think they're definitely trying to figure out numbers. I think they're definitely trying to keep their options open to look at upgrading the roster. Um, I mean, the, the, the Sixers are definitely not done in terms of wanting to find more veteran help. I mean, I know the Eric Gordon thing was popular out there. I, I just I don't see it happening with Tobias. It's just a very complicated framework to make it happen. But the Sixers have been very keen on trying to find more veterans like Daniel House and P.J. Tucker who can upgrade this rotation and, and really create a, a championship contending supporting cast around Harden and Embiid. So, yeah, I, I, I think Harden's numbers, but also the, the team's overall salary books and their optionality um, moving forward to try to find one more piece or two. 
I think that's definitely um, a big factor underneath the surface there. Um, Adam, how are we? Adam, you're on mute. Adam, are you there? Uh, Got to go to the next call. We're running out of time. Tyler. Yeah, can you hear me? I got you. All right. So uh, with Brogdon's um, uh, with the trade following through tomorrow, could that open um, cap space for the Aiton trade or like the sign a trade or either just uh, him signing a contract in general? That's all I have. It definitely does. Um, A lot of people in the league have been talking about Indiana's potential and apparent interest in doing so. It's going to be fascinating. I mean, that's the one massive wrinkle that could really happen and impact the KD trade sweepstakes right now. If DeAndre Ayton signs an offer sheet with the Pacers, and again, if, I'm not reporting that's going to happen, but if that happens, then sign trade opportunities with Ayton are immediately off the table. You cannot go from an offer sheet to a sign and trade. Um, so that'll be if, – if that were to happen – which, look, if DeAndre Ayton has potential interest from Toronto and other situations out there, I would think coming from a Phoenix Suns team that was in the finals last year, he would. this is just an educated guess from talking to people on the situation. I would think that he would want a different situation than a rebuild in Indiana first. But he clearly wants to get paid, and his people want him to get paid. And they've been holding out for a max. And if the Pacers bring it, and that's his best offer, it certainly seems like there's a non-zero chance uh, that he would take it. So I'll be very interested to see what happens there. Um, Isaac, how are you? Isaac, you're on mute. All right. Can you hear me now? Sorry about that. You're good. Yeah. So the Jazz acquired a bunch of guys from Minnesota. Gobert has been welcomed over there. And the silence is kind of deafening. You know, the Timberwolves said goodbye to the guys they sent out, but Jazz haven't said anything about the guys they've acquired, so I'm guessing that probably means they're being shopped, and I was curious if you've heard anything on landing spots for any of them, but most specifically for Patrick Beverly. Thank you, Isaac. Um, I have not heard anything on landing spots for those guys, but I can absolutely tell you, yes, that Utah Jazz are not married to any of those players. Um, And I said this with Andy Larson on Wednesday, I believe. Um, I definitely – know from at least one team, like very, very in the immediate aftermath of the Rudy Gobert deal, they were calling and saying, do you have any interest in these guys? Patrick Beverly, I think, would probably have the highest likelihood of getting moved, uh, to your point. Um, there was a team that I heard wanted Patrick Beverly around the draft, and I'm sorry for the life of me, I cannot remember who it was. Um, but any team that's looking for a veteran point guard, I would think would be a team – I mean, obviously, it would be a team to, to keep an eye on. Um, I mean, Washington, I, I don't think is going to be done exploring opportunities there. Is that a landing spot for him? I don't know, but that's just one off the top of my head. I mean, if John Wall doesn't really work out with the Clippers, I would think the Clippers – I mean, we talk about this with Andy, too. Like, Mike Conley was being mentioned a lot there. I'm sure the Clippers will poke back around Mike Conley. I'm sure they would be happy to bring Pat Bev back, honestly. Um I think he's pretty beloved in any winning situation. And all that, you know, funny bad blood from the playing tournament, I think the second you get Pat Bat back on your team, I think that would be fine. But, again, that's just me making making um, two landing spots off out of thin air based off of just, like, general knowledge of the league. I don't, I haven't heard any team that's trying to get Pat Bev that I remember. There was one team I did hear, but I'm sorry. I'm blanking right now. Um, Tom, how we doing? Tom, you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? I got you, Tom. Oh. Sorry about that. Can you hear me? I got you. Yes. Uh, love your stuff. Not sure if this was mentioned earlier in the call, but anything regarding Colin Sexton and a potential sign and trade with any other teams? Is he still in favor in, in Cleveland? And any potential that the Nets would have interest uh, in a sign-in trade to include the Cavs in a three-team trade, the Lakers. 
Uh, thank you, Tom. I have not heard of a Cavs Colin Sexton interest, um, but I'll say this. I mean, yes, there's definitely interest in Cleveland bringing him back. Uh, Keith, I just saw you getting the call with you. Kyle's going to be my last call. I'm sorry. Um, or I guess, yeah, um, I got to get moving here. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, I mean, I was talking with someone yesterday about this at the game, an assistant general manager um, at the Thomas and Max Center last night. There's definitely a lot of talk in the league about Sexton potentially taking the qualifying offer and going back into free agency next year, un, uh, unrestricted. Um, I don't know if that will happen. Um, but look, like his market clearly isn't robust at this point and wasn't. So there's no reason for Cleveland to give him a stronger offer than what they already have. And I have been told that that's something along the lines of Jordan Clarkson's three-year $51 million. If Sexton wants, you know, closer to the Anthony Simons ballpark of 20, 20 plus, you know, that's not going to be, that's, that's pretty far off. And would he want to bet on himself and get out there? Maybe the injury history is interesting. If, if he would, if he actually takes the qualifying offer, it'd be, uh, it'd be pretty interesting, but it's something that people are starting to talk about. At least I can say that. Uh, Tim, how are you? Thanks, Jake. Uh, actually, my question is also to piggyback on the, on the Pacers question. Um, the Brogdon deal is getting done likely tomorrow, and they're going to have $26.5 million in cap space. Obviously, they could throw a wrench in, signing Aiton uh, to an offer sheet. So they've been trying really hard for years to get a first-round pick out of Miles Turner. That could be their opportunity to get the Suns to kind of for- force the Suns' hands to not lose Aiton for nothing and-, and give them something for Turner there on a swap. Uh, but that specific cap space number is also the exact difference between Russell Westbrook and Buddy Heald. Uh, which would allow, I think, a Kyrie trade to get facilitated and the Nets can take back some combination between um, THT, Nunn, and Heald, depending on how much luxury tax they're interested in. Uh, do you see the, a better use of the Pacers' cap space than trying to butt their way into a Durant deal or a Kyrie deal? I mean, they're absolutely uh, a huge monkey wrench in the KD sweepstakes. Like we've mentioned previously, if Aiton just signs an offer sheet there, I mean, the sign-and-trade scenario is done. Um, if he shows interest in accepting and then opens the door for talks, that'll that'll definitely open the door for it to be expanded. I mean, I know the Lakers have interest in Buddy Hill. That is, that is pretty clear to me. And, I, I mean, like I said on this program before, like I know they called in the – after the Sabonis deal went through to try to get him again. Um, Russ going there. I just don't see it. I've been told time and again that Pacers ownership wouldn't have interest in buying him out. I think they're really trying to see what Tyrese Halliburton can do. Um, and bringing in Russ into that fold would just complicate matters. Russ playing under Rick Carlisle would be a pretty uh, just curious fit in, ter- in terms of personality and playing style. Um <laughs> I just I, I don't I don't know the likelihood of Russ getting to Indy and it being like a, a legitimate outcome, as much as I know that like, the Lakers would love Buddy Heald and Kyrie Irving, right? Um, it's just it's wonky to to get Russ to Indy to get Kyrie to LA. Um, I mean, Indy though does definitely stand, and I'll say that Indy does stand in a strong position to at least have optionality here. Um, where they could benefit from being one of the few teams with cap space to help facilitate a bigger deal. So that is something that they do have going for them. Uh, Kyle, last question. How you doing, man? Good to hear from you again. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, doing well. I'll make it quick. Uh, changing direction a little bit here. Mark Stein said the other day on the, his podcast that uh, Sacramento Kings seem to be in a zillion different uh, trade discussions name to look out for is Harrison Barnes. Do you have, do you have any other thoughts on the Sacramento Kings and what the heck they're up to? When the Kings are looking to upgrade uh, to make a playoff run. And I think they're feeling very good about the Aaron Fox and Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray and Demata Sabonis and having the league monk in their sixth man role um, with Harrison Barnes. I mean, he's been the piece that has been out there for trade conversations for two years now. Um, I know he was being talked about and John Collins stuff 
will those coals ever get stoked and will there be a fire there? Maybe I just, it's not, it doesn't make the most sense to me being that like Keegan is basically very similar to the John Collins mold. Um, and I would think that the best benefit, the best benefit to sack moving Harrison would be to find more of a wing than a forward. Um, I mean, Rashawn Holmes has definitely become a bit redundant. And I, I, I think he is clearly someone that, will be discussed in terms of like actual outcomes. I really, I really can't tell you that right now, but yeah, I would think those two players are, are the top two players I, I'd keep an eye on as potential outgoing pieces for Sacramento. Thanks Jake. I appreciate it. You got it, man. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. We got over 400 people here uh, on uh, a very early show for the West Coast and a pretty early show. Thanks to Center for the East Coast. So thank you guys so much. Um, I don't have timing or guests for next week, but like I've said before, if you make an account and subscribe, you will get push notifications and updates whenever we're going live, well in advance of when we're going live. You can make a call here. You can talk to me, ask the questions to our guests, and we'll keep it moving all throughout the off season. So appreciate the support and the listenership to everyone. Like I said all along, I really, really, really enjoy doing this and interacting with all the fans and the listeners. So please keep tuning in. Please keep calling. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the summer league games. And we will talk to you guys next week when I've got a clearer idea of the schedule. Take care.